I turned off my alarm. My alarm usually goes off at seven or six thirty. You guys are lucky. <laughs> I was up at six. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Fonda, and uh, I'm here with some very special guests in the luxurious Inns of Banff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only the top end for us. <laughs> Why well, say luxurious? Because the hot water tap won't stop dripping. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only two towels for three people. <laughs> Actually, four. But she's still sleeping, so it's fine. <laughs> in any case, um, you're listening to I Don't Get It, which is a podcast about performance in Edmonton, and this time... Um, in Banff, and uh, we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Um, guests, how about you introduce yourselves briefly for me? I'm Colleen Fian, uh, the podcast resident opera expert. I'm Laura Boo. I like to talk about theater with Fonda sometimes. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for joining us. So, so um, ladies, ladies, what did we see last night? How, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? <laughs> We got in a car, we drove for a very long time, we took a scenic route to Banff, um, and we went to see uh, Orfei uh, by Gluck, in, uh, performed by, at, by the uh, Canadian, nope, by the Banff Centre. Yeah, it was a co-production between the BAM Center, the Canadian Opera Company, um, and Against the Grain Theater, which I believe is based out of Ohio. Um, and so this production um, piqued our interest because it recently swept the opera category at the um, at the Dora Maver Moore Awards in Toronto. And so, um, and it was also billed as a electronic baroque burlesque descent into hell um and so you know i thought well that's that's got to be worth a trip to the mountains so let's give it a shot um so we we saw the show last night um yeah uh, colleen why don't you start us off what is a, a little bit of the context of um what uh you know where Orfe, uh, where this where this opera the classic version of it at least lies in the larger opera canon so this opera comes um, out of the late 18th century. So it first premiered in Vienna in uh, 1762 and then uh, in Italian and then was rejigged to, into a French version uh, that uh, debuted in Paris in 1774. And that's sort of the more famous version of this opera that we know. Um, it's a, it's quite interesting that we've, we've seen this opera be sort of rejigged for our 21st century um, because when it came about uh, in, in Gluck's time, sorry, it's by Gluck, and when it came about in his time, he had this project where he was trying to reform the current uh, flavor of opera, which was opera seria at the time, um, because it had become campy and um, uh, and and just about spectacle as opposed to drama. So his whole project was to um, use the music and the text and the dance uh, to get back to the real drama and the message of the opera. Um, and it, it might be interesting to note that sort of the opera that more, pe more people are familiar with, which came a little bit later, um, is mostly just standing and singing, whereas opera in this period was actually usually infused with ballet and dancing and music. So there's long stretches of just music um, that need to be filled on the stage. So uh, when we went to watch the opera last night, I thought how interesting that they're using this opera um, to try and sort of modernize 
the genre um, because originally this opera was written in order to modernize the genre in the late 1700s. And so what were some of the things that they did with this production that um, really departed from that? If I if I can begin, <laughs> well, I um I always like to watch and see how I feel when I'm watching the opera because you know you can feel how you feel about it, but if you're being impacted, then I think it's doing its job. Um, I remember leaving the theater at the intermission and thinking, oh my goodness, I am watching something here. Like this is this has grabbed my attention. It's I'm 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 certainly I'm certainly feeling something. Um, I was less excited when I left after the the second the second half, but um, I think it's it's interesting for me that the original project of this opera was to infuse drama and get back to the message of the story, and I and I I found that this production was a little bit more focused on some spectacle. Um, there was a really sexualized dance crew doing the ballet moves. And it's not really a sexual story. It's sort of a story about love and fidelity and faith and hope. So I don't know why it was so hyperly... I mean, hey, I like a good dance show, no problem. And if this had been Don Giovanni, where it's about sex and all those things, maybe it would have made more sense to me. But I didn't understand the hypersexualized dance chorus with this message. Yeah, they had... um, There was a chorus of dancers who were essentially burlesque dancers. Um, I had my own thoughts about the choreography. I thought it was a little bit simplistic, but it was a lot of burlesque posturing. Um, Really sort of, you know, kind of like... um, simulating fornication, um, super sexiness. The, they were, you know, scantily clad and mostly um, pasties that were covered in jewels and <laughs> things like that. I mean, there were and, a lot. And dance belts. It was very equal. Yeah, and dance belts. Yes, yes. Very, very equal in that way. Um, uh, lots of butt cheeks we were talking about. <laughs> it's like, there's so many butt cheeks on stage. Um, but what I found interesting is that the, the actual singing cast was very small. The ha- actual singing cast was half the size of the of the dance cast um and the chorus itself was virtual um they the the chorus for most of the show they did have some part of the show where the chorus was singing from the pit um but for most of the show the chorus was can't um and i wonder how you feel like how how did the um sort of you know i guess the actual singing in the show go in this opera (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was interesting because they used a they used a digital installation where they threw the the chorus's faces up on the walls or on these these um, stripes, which actually I thought was really interesting in the first act. I was quite impacted by this um, by this digital uh, thing that they were doing. But the re- for me, the reason I go to see opera and not just you know turn it on on my Spotify or whatever is that you want to be there and you want to hear the voices. So not having you know a, a big beautiful chorus of twenty people singing to me from a stage, you really lose sort of what's ha- like you, you lose sort of the impact of sitting there with a with a with a diva or or and and then you know all the the sound coming at you. So it just it made the story seem smaller. I don't know. So I really liked the the visual installation, um, but I but I missed having the voices there. It made it just seem small. Yeah, I'll note that the vid- the video projection and um, like the the art and um, planning that went into went into that was quite 
incredible. Um, you know, the the video was a lot of the set. They did have a very interesting set, mm-hmm. um, but but the video was really what sort of rounded it out. Like as they're going, you know, this is the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. So when they're going into hell and when they're coming out through the Elysian fields, the video is informing all of what they're going through. Um, and I like I thought actually in the opening scene with the um, you know they had these strips of fabric uh, scattered throughout the stage and they've de- and they have separate projection going on to each of them. There's this scene where Eurydice is walking through a forest and she appears on each of these strips separately. It, it was quite incredible, quite the feat, uh, the the technical feat there. So I want to um, kind of point out the projection and video team there. Um, but yeah, Laura, how did you feel about um how the what what they were um flavoring the music with because there was some there was some contemporary uh things added on <laughs> Yeah, I was just looking at that. It, there's a there's two violins, a viola, a cello, a bass, a flute, an oboe, and a clarinet, a bassoon, and a guitar, and a keyboard. So that's a pretty big kind of interesting orchestra that they've they have sort of also pared that down as well. So it's more like a pit band, like a, a glorified pit band, you know what I mean? But there was a good pit band, and it was really good, and the conductor was really awesome. Uh, the thing that I noted most was that there was an electric guitar that would kind of come in and out of this sound. And uh, it had a pedal, it was using pedal too, I think, so it had different effects and stuff on it. Sometimes it'd be like really gritty, and sometimes like a cleaner sort of sound. And um, it's too, you know, it was hit and miss for me with this guitar. Um, it, it, it it's for some reason it cut through the other instruments it, it, you know mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't seem to blend and the instruments it cut through most were again the voices mm-hmm. as the same thing we saw with silver arrow with hoxley workman oddly where the uh instrumentation is at the same pitch as the voice so it's like you have two singers now that are competing at mm-hmm. the same time and one of them is drowning out the other one and that's the one with that's plugged in <laughs> so, yeah it yeah. almost it almost seemed kind of like this this odd sort of like thought where it's just kind of like oh you know this electric guitar kind of sounds like an opera singer maybe we should just throw it in there because yeah. it's kind of cool and it didn't really i it did at, at those points lose the voice yeah. and what was interesting i thought about um the voices in this show and colleen i'll ask you a little bit to explain a little bit more about um why the roles and voices in this show are unique um is that i wanted to hear more of the voices and it was just kind of um they they did get a sort of superseded by a lot of the tricks they were trying to play um and add on in this yeah i the voices so traditionally when this opera was written um it was in the 1700s and uh castrati were still were still a thing which are men that are um, castrated in order to prevent uh, the lowering of the voice in puberty. So this, these would be men who still have high voices like little boys, but they're powerful and they're beautiful. And I've heard recordings of Castrati. I mean, we don't do that anymore, but I've heard recordings of them and it's, it's, a, it's an incredible sound. Um, so last night, so traditionally nowadays, um, often women will actually play the role of Orpheus. Um, but last night it was played quite beautifully by Simon Chang, Chung, excuse me. And he, um, he, Technically, he did a fantastic performance. He did it all in falsetto, so it's a, just a very high register for a man, which is really difficult. And he's, he's a countertenor. Um, it's really difficult. He there are only so many people who can do that. So props to him. I think um, it got lost between the dance. Some some of his um, his his singing got lost between the dance and the and the, and the guitar for me. But what struck me is I actually thought it was like an ode to Prince because it was this electric guitar. <laughs> And just the costumes they came out in, like the, with the high shoes and the big coats and the hair and whatever, 
I actually thought like, oh, they're trying to, they're just summoning up prints here. Um, but then that sort of went away. So, <laughs> so anyway. Well, they kind of tried, they were trying to do a lot of stuff with the show. I'm, I, I will say that the costumes were quite incredible. I loved Beautiful. Eurydice's costume. Oh, yeah. um, she had this sort of like, um, like a skeleton of a, a not a corset, but um, uh, like a dress that the light would shine through. And so, you know, like with all of the other nudity that was kind of or partial nudity that was happening on the stage, you could see through her dress, which was kind of incredible. Um, and uh, played by Miriam Khalil. She was, she, I thought well, she, she was, was wonderful. Job. She, it doesn't appear through the entire first act. She only kind of, um, you see this vision of her through the projections. Um, and then when she came out in the second act as they're, as they're trying to exit hell through, you know, for or Orpheus's test, mm-hmm. um, I mean that was she was just incredible in that in that scene and that was when the show kind of turned around for me the the actual just pure um, singing the pure and it's such an interesting staging challenge I find um, the story of Orpheus and Eurydice when they're exiting hell and Orpheus can't turn around and look at her and she's just like wailing look at me like you know like I'm here you know um, and we saw well I mean they did it in Hades Town as well but they did it in a completely different way um, but that's the part of the show that actually where I felt that the performances and the story itself came back like it was actually like okay now i see the love story here yeah there's a bit of dramatic tension happening on stage between two characters Whereas in like the first act, I don't know where the dramatic tension even lies, really. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I agree. The, 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 the duet that they sing in the second, and sorry, in the third act, but the second part of the show was really touching. The soprano did a beautiful job, I thought. Um, and, and yeah, so the story came back. And it's sort of what I more traditionally think of going to enjoy opera when you've got beautiful music happening and a story and passion and all those things. So that really came through for me. And, and sort of to Fonda's point, I've, I saw this this opera staged in, in Vienna many years ago and and they did it through and so for this act they did it through risers that kept uh, kept the actors walking up across the stage and then right before the end then you know the, the, the he turns around and looks at her but um, but it was interesting to see this because they didn't have I figured they would have pathways or they would create pathways with light or something like that and they didn't but it still was sort of the most emotional point of the opera for me yeah that's the the thing i've seen a couple times where i've been like okay you've everyone's decorating the walls in the back of of the stage but there's no like um objects or anything that kind of bring you into the foreground or the background like at one point you're to see it's like sitting on the ground like give her a chair give her a stone or something like you know what i mean i don't know like it was weird i understand because of the projections and stuff like that but it did really clear out the playing space and, and it was a very very conventional strange thing yeah but we have to give uh we have to give props to amour uh played by Edda Fung. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So this is the Cupid character. Yeah. yeah. That gives that gives Orpheus his his challenge to go into Hades and take Eurydice out, right? Speaking of levels, um, <laughs> yeah, good point. this incredible, incredible uh, singer um, dangled from ribbons. Yeah, she was she was dancing on silks, like circus silks. I I I so she comes in for her her first song in the in the first act and she climbs up a silk and then sings this whole aria whilst flipping around in the air and I just sat there going uh okay I give up like if people can friggin do that I don't even know why I exist like 
<laughs> I know. I was like, who is this? Was this what you could do? I was like, can it, can you actually sing upside down like that? Whilst twisting yeah. and contorting. Um, and full split. Like she yeah. did a full split <laughs> between then, the silks. sung like a beautiful high note. Yeah. yeah. So I so I sat there just like literally mouth dropped right open. Yeah. And I, I yeah, but then I thought like so so while it was absolutely incredible, I I also wondered it's like but I'm so distracted by all, everything that's happening like why why is this like why, why wasn't she just on a wire? I just I don't know that it was a lot. And she was the only character that used it, which is fine, she's a goddess, but I yeah, it was just like really, okay. I don't like virtuos virtuoso performances for some reason. Like, we're we're all these like Puritans who are just like, why are you doing all this extra stuff? That's that's enough. Well, just sit on the stage and sing for I God's know, sake. I know, like or, ornamentation and all that stuff. It was yeah. the whole thing was really rococo, really like over the, over top. the top and like frilly and like floofy. Yeah, and, like, you know what I mean. Like yeah. very French, like French. I mean, actually, French. I mean, I have to say, like it's totally worth seeing. Yeah. I like I was titillated the entire time I was never bored um, which is great because there are often moments in operas when you're like okay keep it moving but you know in this one someone would just drop out of the sky in ribbons so never a dull moment (laughs) well what I felt was odd was that she's only on the on the silks in that one scene they're never used by another character and then at the very close of the show the final moments of the show they they just come down again and she jumps on them and then the curtain comes down and it's like what okay it just felt All right. a bit gimmicky. It well, just felt a little gimmicky. Yeah, it's like if you've done your imagistic homework or whatever for this show that's the last image you want to leave the audience with based on all the text and all the poetry that we've just seen like I don't feel like there was any journey connected to the text going on yeah. in terms of images. I think it was it, there was but I, I think they could have they could have gone farther in mining that those possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, I mean, I guess in terms of, you know, um, seeing opera, the regular theater that we see throughout the year, all that kind of stuff. Do you, did you think this show was special? Did it, did it deserve all of its accolades and, and, and that sort of thing? The show is absolutely worth seeing. I think it is special. I'm just, I'm, again, with this whole more Puritans at the table or whatever, but I'm a little bit sad that it needed this much um, stuff to make an opera interesting and I so that sort of like dampens it for me but yeah I totally enjoyed what I was watching I just yeah I don't get it <laughs> <laughs> well we'll can that we'll use that <laughs> I think they were brave in their experimentation I'm I was applauding that except I think they moved a little bit too much towards bells and whistles mm-hmm. yeah so we're at least worth the 17 and a half hour drive that we had on the way here. <laughs> All right. Shout out to Grey Owl Meadery. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We found a meadery on the way. <laughs> that was great. We'll tag them in the show notes, too. Okay. Um, well, thank you both for um, uh, coming on this crazy little road trip for us. It's our first I Don't Get It road trip. Yay. Um, all right. And with that, uh, we're going to go and do our first ad. For 75 years, ATB Financial has supported charities through the province, and now there's an easier way for you to do the same. ATBcares.com is a charitable giving site that allows Albertans to donate to any cause they care about, whether it's in their community or across the country. And because charities work hard for every dollar that they earn, it's important that they receive 100% of all donations made. With ATB Cares, ATB pays for 100% of the transaction costs, so every penny you donate is put to work. Learn more about how ATB cares works at atbcares.com 
That was amazing, Colleen. Thank you so much. Um, so also this week, I had the opportunity to speak with um, another guest, Anna Goma, who is playing Carmen in uh, Carmen. <laughs> and we're going to go see that show um, in the Badlands Amphitheater in August. And so um, we're just going to... Uh, it was a really interesting conversation with her. She is a mezzo-soprano, so she actually talks about some of the um, so-called pants roles that um, the those singers often get to play, or is some is actually one of them so um yeah i'll i'll just throw to that now um and and then there will also be another ad hello everyone i am here uh with a very special guest all the way from germany today uh this is anna goma hello anna Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining us. Um, so you are making a very special trip here um, to Alberta this summer. Yes, I'm coming uh, to sing Carmen in Bargratz. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and so the Badlands, I mean, have you ever been to um, landscape like the Badlands before? Have you been had a chance to rehearse out there yet? So not yet, but I'm going to come one week before the performance. And and I have been near Alberta because I was in the Rockies some years ago. I went I went to Vancouver and I did a trip, but in the Bargrads to see the, to to meet the meet the space and to do rehearsals, we're gonna do it uh, just before the performance to okay. be fresh. Yeah, fantastic. Well, and of course, I mean, in Alberta, you never really know what the weather will be like until about five minutes before. So <laughs> <laughs> nice that we were performing open air also here in Germany in different places. But uh, but it was amazing because there was no sun. There was like um, it was cold weather and raining. Oh dear. <laughs> but two days before the first performance, we got the sun and we did all performance with sun. So if Opera Classica and Mercury opera is bringing us luck it's going to bring us also luck for canada for alberta <laughs> yes <I hope. laughs> yes we hope so because it's one one night only so <laughs> yeah um so you you said that you've performed um in the open air before um other than the obvious sort of weather factors what other factors do you need to consider when you're doing performances uh outside so weather, uh, yeah, weather conditions is one thing. Also, the wind because the wind plays plays a big a big role that it can bring the voice to um, to another place. Mm -hmm. So um, that means that we need a good acoustic uh, and also good good microphones usually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's that's very that's very important. And then to play so to act in a in a big space so open air what what you need is a lot of energy you know, to to spread at all the all this energy to the public because usually they are far away more mm -hmm. far away than a theater that you're a bit more uh, protected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have to really pr project everything, including, you know, all yes. of your movement and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And I, I noticed from some experience from Shakespeare in the park here um, oh. that, uh, you know, often you'll have squirrels or wildlife or, you know, other things <laughs> that happen as well. Um, so it's always yes. unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, it can also happen that happened to me once that a fly comes to to my face and I was singing an aria and I had to fly over my face just disturbing uh. <laughs> but but we are very very concentrated and at the end so you can 
you can afford it and and go over this without problems. Yeah. Um. Do you uh do you enjoy performing in the open air or do you find it a little bit more stressful? I have to say that I I thought it would be more stressful than what it is. So I was I was a bit worried uh, because um you don't know the acoustic and you you don't know if you're gonna feel comfortable. But at I have done now like uh, several performances uh, open air this summer and I I could uh, feel I could feel the the good the good energy that it gives so <laughs> I'm now I'm quite um, used to it and I like it it has it has like a, a freedom feeling more freedom feeling yeah, it's a very yeah, a very unique experience for yeah. for both the audience and for performers. I think. Yeah, in the ballrooms, it's gonna be yeah more 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 amazing because the 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 scenery where we are doing it, it's really really impressive. So I can, I think it can helps to the performance. Mm-hmm. It, it, in a way, it can feel very gypsy that uh, Carmen, it's about gypsies. And and in a way, it's like the the scenery. It's gonna help a lot to to have this feeling of gypsy going around with their their things. Mm-hmm. It's gonna, I think it's gonna help the audience and our and and us. Yeah. Well, and hopefully the wind will pick up a little bit to you know kick up the skirts and your hair and everything, right? <laughs> Let's hope it. <laughs> um. So how did you um how did you begin the relationship with Mercury Opera? Um. Have you worked with them before? Is this the first time? No, it's my first time. I knew them here in Germany because they came, and and I have to say that I I have a very good experience. So I'm very happy. They're Darcia that it's that's like the chef. It's 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 taking care of everything, and it's it's really helpful helpful. Can you tell me tell me a little bit about the role of Carmen? Um, what it's like to play, and and what why is it a special role in the in the world of opera? So for the mezzo sopranos, it's always special because we don't have a lot of main characters. So usually the main characters, big characters, are for sopranos or or tenors, and in this case, it's a mezzo soprano, and it had to be, it had to it has to be a mezzo soprano because. Uh, the the role it's more um, has a lot of earth uh, has a lot of of um, sensuality mm-hmm. and Carmen it's very special because it's very um, complex so it has a lot of faces it can be very sweet but also can be very rude mm-hmm. and and that gives you the por- the opportunity to act in a very uh, in a in a huge scale uh, scale of colors. That it's very interesting as a, as an artist. It's really interesting to go into into her psychology and discover why she she's acting this way and she's saying all these things. Yeah, she's sort of an unconventional heroine in in the scope yeah. of opera. Um, so, what are some of the challenges of of playing a character like that, knowing that she is so different from the re- other female characters that you might be find yourself playing? Well, I think the most difficult thing is to keep the um, to keep the charm all the time. So Carmen has something special all the time and has also a lot of energy and and has peaks like uh, of 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 intensity. And to balance and to manage all this this energy 
throw the opera that it's long, that it's quite three hours. Mm-hmm. So and Carmen, it's a lot of time off on stage. That's keeping keeping maintaining this energy and and giving all the time the powerful the power and the and the color that needs the the role. I think it's a more more challenging thing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the other characters in the show and um, the cast that will be joining you? Yeah, the tenor it's gonna be Boris Nero, but uh, it's uh, from Alberta, mm-hmm. and it's Don Jose. That it's um, at the beginning of the opera. Uh, Carmen fell in love in, in to him, and, and he is in love to Carmen, but um, he's got he's in the military. So um, there is like a scene where where I should go to the prison, but he sa- he saves me, <laughs> and so I have to wait him for two months to be to be again with me, and uh, he's a bit jealous. What uh, it's difficult with Carmen because Carmen it's very um, it's it's a freak, it's a, an animal, and then don't want to be don't want to do what the other wants he she to do so she wants to do whatever she wants at the moment so that 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 makes it they have like problems at the end mm-hmm. the other the other role is camillo that it's baritone that uh and it's a torero a famous torero in in granada and it's like uh, Carmen has two men to 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 choose. One, there is like conventionally jealous and and a bit close-minded, uh, that it and the other one that it's famous and rich and has everything. Mm-hmm. And in a way, Carmen wants both. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we but, all? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, she she wants she she loves Don Jose, but. When she met, when she meets uh, Scamillo, she doesn't say no. I mean, it's like, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, and that makes sick Don Jose. And then give there is Michaela, that is the soprano, is Lona Moore, Moore, and it's a lovely girl. So it's like a, a lovely girl from a village with his rules and and. It, it's. I think it's the most uh, the, the the role that brings us to reality, you know, what we are used to, mm-hmm. or what we think that we want to be, mm-hmm. and that this contrast is very nice. Yeah, and so Carmen is sort of um, as a really complex woman. Um, how how do you feel? What do you feel you like to bring to the role? Um, because I know many, um, as as someone with a professional opera career, you have your repertoire, and you know you kind of everyone knows the roles in a certain way. But but what do you feel um, you bring to Carmen that is a little bit different than all the other Carmens out there? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel I feel a lot uh, Carmen. So I think I'm a, I'm very Carmen in my life, <laughs> in not in in a gypsy way, but but in the freedom way. And what I maybe give to 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 this to my Carmen, it's uh, it's that you don't need to be very rude or 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 too sexy to be charm and and to be Carmen and to be free that that's what I think that's more, most of the people think that Carmen is a bit beach you know that 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 <laughs> she goes with a lot of men 
That I don't think. So I think that she's in love with Don Jose. Of course, if there is a rich Toretto and handsome that comes and says something, she says like, mm, I like it, no? But <laughs> it's not about being with everyone because she could be with everyone. But uh, in my opinion and my version of Carmen, um, it's it's about freedom more than, than being with all men that, that you want. Mm -hmm. more about think, freedom than promiscuity really <laughs> yeah it's like it's like an empower an empowered woman woman no? mm -hmm. I, i think more in an empowered woman that has the control and says i want this and don't and don't follow the rules of the society mm -hmm. just she does what, what she wants to do yeah and That's my approach to Carmen. That, and, but the, the, the interesting thing is that we do the role a lot of times, as you said, and that it changes a bit. Every production has something new mm -hmm. that you can find. Yeah. Um, I, and this, this opera has some of the most well-known music. I mean, for many people who are unfamiliar with opera, Carmen has very recognizable music in it. Yes, yes, it has uh, Toreador, that uh, it's very, very known, Habanera, mm -hmm. also the tenor area, it's known. So it has a lot of moments that they are beautiful and known. That people, if, if I would say, if it's your first opera, it's a perfect opera. Mm -hmm. Because it it never, the tension never, never falls. It's very interesting all the time. It's uh, also it's happy, although the final is not happy, but has very happy moments. <laughs> and the music cheers you up most of the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's intense. So you have a lot of things, like everything you can find, the opera, you find it in, in Carmen. Mm -hmm. It's one of the masterpieces of, of the opera world. Yeah, definitely a, a must-see for anyone trying to get an opera education. Yes. Which, which I am trying yes. now to do. <laughs> Yes. Um, so uh, you you had mentioned a little bit earlier too that um, the, uh, the role of Carmen is for mezzo soprano, um, yeah. and can you tell me a little bit more um, about the roles that that you that you typically play in the in the mezzo uh, in the mezzo scale? Yeah, the, the, being a mezzo is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, our roles are like it's not like the nice girl that is coming. No, we do action. We do sometimes. Um, prostitutes, uh, witches, um, old ladies, and guys. Ah. That's the, that's the yeah, that's the point that we like because we do also guys. We sometimes mezzos does uh, a pants role, that means that you are a guy. So it seems you are seeing you're in on stage. You are a guy. Okay, can you give me some examples of those roles? Yes, uh, it's, uh, for a guy role, it's Carabino from Le Nozze di Figaro di Mozart, mm -hmm. Siebel from Opera Faust that I, I already did in Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, there is also Orfeo from Orfeo Rudice. Then, um, what more? There are a lot. Octavian, <laughs> the accompanist from Strauss. Um, usually it's not like an old man it's 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 really a teenager the most significant role uh, for this it's Cherubino from La Nozze di Figaro that it's really a teenager discovering the love and oh. usually is this kind of uh, there is also Sesto and Anio from La Clemenza di Tito 
So um, in your experience playing some of these roles, are they sort of, um, are they comic roles or are they, are they just mostly the very, like the young men as well? The young men's are com yeah usually are comic yes mm-hmm. usually are comic or not comic but very very sweet oh, very okay. sweet and then then we have a very dramatic roles like the we the witches the witch from the Hansel and Gretel it's mm. like we have like the two two faces or a, a sexy woman also mm-hmm. like Flora from a Traviata Lola Cavalleria Rusticana that it's like the friend the sexy friend. Uh, that's okay. awesome. That's because uh, our voices are a bit lower, so are lower uh, from are lower than than sopranos, mm-hmm. and they are warmer. Ah, so mm-hmm. when when people listen a warm voice, then they imagine like this a sexy woman or a witch or a, a, an old lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's or, that's or so. Interesting. That is changing her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, as someone, I'm, I have more experience in theater and dance. So, so opera is a little bit newer to me, but it is interesting to hear um, about the differences in, in sort of conventional casting. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I th- I think we're very lucky to have you coming down to uh, to the Badlands this summer, and um, it happens on August fourth uh, at yes. the Drumheller Theater. Um, I'll will I'll let our listeners know that we're going to put all of the information on our show notes when we post mm-hmm. this episode. Um, but yeah, for now, Anna, um, it's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for calling and also for doing this interview. And I would say to everyone to come, um, doesn't matter if it's your first opera or not, but Aunt Carmen, it's a must, uh, a must piece. And if you want to start with the opera, it's, as I, as I said, it's a perfect one. Fantastic. So, And I'm looking really forward to come and, and meet all of you. Amazing. Yes. Well, thank you again so much. Um, We'll let you get on with your day. Have a good one. Thank you. This week, we wanted to highlight one of our partners on the Alberta Podcast Network because it's summer and hopefully teachers everywhere are taking a well-deserved break. The Ed Podcast with Shane Lawrence is a weekly podcast about the teaching life. No lists, no inspirational quotes, just honest conversations about the lives of teachers. We recently sat down with Shane from Ed and Mile Zero Dance to talk about dance programming in Edmonton schools. Both podcasts will run parts of the interview in upcoming episodes. But for now, you can learn more about Ed and all of the APN family at albertapodcastnetwork.com. All right, ladies, end of the episode. It's time It's time for some listings. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what can people see, Laura? What's going on? You can see Teatro La Quindicina, The Importance of Being Earnest. It runs until July 28th at the Varscona Theatre. You can see Miss Caitlin's Grade 3 Prepares for the Inevitable by Elena Bellier of Tiny Bear Jaws, July 18th to July 21st at Studio Theatre at the ATB Arts Barns. All right. And also, as previously mentioned, Carmen is playing at the Badlands Amphitheatre on uh, August 4th. That's a production by Mercury Opera. That's the same spot where the Passion Play runs every summer. And the Passion Play is actually running until the end of July. So you can Google Badlands Amphitheatre and it'll tell you all about those things. Um, well, again, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me on this road trip. It was real fun. Uh, let's do it again sometime. <laughs> All right, <laughs> listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, go see some stuff. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. 
You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here, thank you. I love you.